Hello and welcome back to Foster Care, an Unparalleled Journey with your host, Jason Palmer. I am here today with a guest. I tried to tell her she's the co-host, but she doesn't want to hear that. She says she's just a guest. So, today I'm bringing my wife, Amanda, on here with me to tell you guys a story. I'm going to talk a little bit about Carl. Now, with foster care, there's certain certain privacy rights and requirements and we try to we try to respect the privacy of people as best we can, especially kids. There's some legal stuff around it, but we want to do it just for a moral reason. I, I don't want to put anything out there that could end up causing the kids any kind of harm in the future. So when I tell you that today we're going to talk about Carl, just know that Carl was not Carl's real name. He had a different name. And when we went to uh, some our family's house and... Our uh, oldest daughter had a friend over there, and her friend looked at Carl and said, that doesn't sound like the right name for him, when we told her his birth name. She said, he looks like an old man. His name should be Carl. Somehow or another, that name stuck, and he became Carl from then on out. And to this day, he's still Carl, even though he doesn't know it. Today, I have with me Amanda, my wife, and we are here to talk about this story with you. Amanda and I have been together for roughly 20 years. I'd tell you exactly, but I'd be wrong, and then she'd smack me, and, well, that wouldn't be any good. I don't know. It could be fun. Maybe for you. For me. But, yeah, uh, we have been together for 20 years, and we have had seven kids that we've called our own over the years together. We have been through ups and downs, and in and out of crazy journeys and all the things that normal married people do and a whole slew of things that we most people never experience. And foster care has been part of the journey that we've done together. So I wanted to bring her on here to talk about Carl today. Today's episode is going to be, Is Hello Worth the Goodbye? The reason for that is, is that when you do foster care, one of the things you will find is that there is a lot of joy in it and there is a lot of pain in it. Sometimes when a kid leaves your house... You breathe a sigh of relief. You go, wow, I'm glad that's over. So today's episode is going to be called, Is Hello Worth the Goodbye? Because foster care has a lot of ups and downs in it. And some kids, when they leave, you breathe a sigh of relief. You're not real sad that they're going because it's been such a challenge. And hopefully you've learned something from it and can be a better parent, a better foster parent, a better human. But sometimes you're just glad for that struggle to be over. Sometimes when a kid leaves, though, there's no joy when they leave. And Carl was one of those stories. Carl was really special to us. I came home from work one day, and Amanda, my wife, is standing on the front porch. She looks at me, kind of giddy, kind of claps her hands together and says, Can I have a baby? Please, please, can I have a baby? And I thought, Dear God, has a woman lost her mind? And before I can even turn the motorcycle off and park it, she says, I just got a call from a neighboring county, and they need a, an immediate placement for a baby. And so within about 37 seconds, we were in the car, headed an hour west to the, this other county to pick a baby up. There's a truck stop exit out there that everybody pretty much knows where it's at. We agreed to meet there, and we met at the little Taco Bell next door to one of the truck stops. We went inside and had some food, and, and the, the foster placement that had taken him over the weekend he was born just just the weekend prior and stayed with them over the weekend and they weren't able to keep him long term so we met the foster placement out there and picked up the baby and went inside and have a quick meal after our hour or so long drive and uh 
When well, it wasn't just us and a baby. It was us and all of our other children and a baby. So there were a lot of us. Yes, there were. So we, we sat down and, um, and put all the kids down at the table. And I went up to order the food and was talking with the waitress. And I'm pretty certain that I said something along the lines of, we just came here to pick up or, or to, to get a baby. We, or we just got a new baby. I think that's what I said. We just got a new baby in the parking lot. We found him out in the parking lot. He's mine now. Yeah, I think I kind of <laughs> freaked her out a little bit. She definitely had a strange look. Like, what are you guys doing? Did you just steal a baby? The yeah, answer I, was yes. I always steal babies. They're mine. I tried to kind of smooth it over. and I don't know if she ever bought it, but she didn't call the cops and we ate our food and... Went about our way without getting arrested, so that's good. Carl turned out to be, like, the happiest kid you've ever met. He was very laid back, very sweet. Most smilingest thing you ever met. Happy, laughing all the time. Just a, a real joy. He made us better while he was here. I agree, you I know, agree. He, he helped us see a lot of happiness and contentment. Carl was a great addition to our family, for sure. He, um... I don't know, I had, it was the only time I've ever had, like, teenage boys in my house that fought over whether or not they got to hold the baby. Yeah. And fight they did do. <laughs> well, teenage boys always fight. But yeah, Carl was just the happiest little boy you've ever met. And Carl was, a, was black, and as black babies go, he was the darkest little guy I've ever met. Super dark skin. And just a huge smile on his face. And it was interesting because we live in a fairly rural area. And a lot of the, the people around here, actually, for being in rural Missouri, we have a pretty diverse community. You know, my, my kids go to school with black kids, with white kids, with mixed kids, with Mexican kids. It's pretty, pretty diverse. And for the most part, most of the kids have become acclimated with that fairly well. But we have had our fair share of experiences where not everybody agrees with that. No, I, I get a lot of looks when I'm in the store. I'm I'm a woman, but I'm fairly pale. Um, not all my children are pale like me. Got a lot of color, and when you put me and Carl together, you've got black as night and, I don't know, albino white almost. And so we get a lot of, str- a lot of strange looks, a lot of offbeat comments. But you just learn to roll with it, and as long as someone isn't getting too ignorant in front of my children, we're good to go. Yeah, that, that's, I think the one th- time that I really remember it being a real big deal was the um, when we took him to a... Uh, Carl had to go up to visit with his mom. She was in the state correctional facility up the roadways in a little town called Vandalia, Missouri. And I didn't know it until some time later that Vandalia, Missouri is still considered a sundown town. And if you're unfamiliar with that term, um, it comes from time of some pretty overt racism and the the rule was you could you know if you were black you could be in town during the daylight hours but you better have your black ass out of town before the sun goes down uh that was just the way that that town was run and there was still a pretty decent amount of racism in uh in that community at that time and we didn't know it and so we had gone up there to the uh, correctional facility so carl could have a visit with his bio mom and we stopped at a little restaurant when we left there in town, and we didn't think anything of it. Now, I am ambiguously brown, for sure. Nobody knows what my race is when they look at me, and my wife is pale white. Our oldest two boys are super pale white, just like her. 
And then we have two adopted kids with us who were mixed kids who look a lot more like me. Carl, on the other hand, that's why I mentioned earlier that he was such a dark-skinned baby, is that when you look at, at the collection, Carl was obviously way darker than any of us. He, he was kind of the one that when people would look at us, they would look at me and, and two of our kids and think, well, those are his, and the two white kids and think, those are hers, but who is that? And uh, so, I mean, we did garner some stares, but in this little bitty town, when we walked into the restaurant to eat some lunch, the guy sitting closest to the door, his mouth falls open. He open mouth stares at us, and not knowing why, I noticed it, but we went on in, and immediately the waitress took us and put us in the back room. Now, there was plenty of tables in the front room open for us. There was nobody sitting at all those. Like, there was four families in the whole place. There was plenty of room for us there. But she had to put us in the back room, so I had to open it up, turn the lights on, take the chairs off the table, and she put us in the back room, and everyone, everybody except for one family, stood up and walked out of the restaurant. And by that, I don't mean they stopped and paid their bill. They stood up and walked out. We were kind of flabbergasted at the moment. I mean, have you ever experienced anything like that before? Oh, it was pretty scary. And here you, you know, you're you're coming in, you got your kids with you. You've just been through an experience where, you know, that you're already reeling for, from the thing you did before. And you're in a new situation in, in a strange town, strange people, and everybody's staring at you. And, you know, they just get up and leave. You don't know what, what's coming next. Are they coming back? Are they bringing friends? You know, I, I'm certain if someone comes back, they ain't bringing friends, you <laughs> well, know. And, and then we got through our meal, and the waitress treated us fair and decent, but we got through the meal and come to find out this little restaurant only takes cash, and I only had a debit card on me. So I had to leave my wife and kids there while I ran to an ATM to pay for this meal. That was a little bit nerve-wracking, but, you know, the, that whole experience taught us a lot about the health of racism in America. And there are plenty of places like the town we live in where it's it's not a big deal for the most part. Yeah, there's a couple people around here who have some issues, but but I mean, I don't think we really are affected by most of that. Most of the time, no. Usually, we don't have a whole lot of whole lot of trouble with it. Um, you know, I mean, there's instances where where people look, but you know, what, you can look all you want as long as long as you ain't causing no harm. You know, look all you want. Yeah, you know, but. But I had to leave them there and run up the street to an ATM to get some money. And we got out of there. And the one thing that, that I I remember so clearly after we ate that meal, you know, was that I know it's a little bitty town. Little bitty town. So all those same people will be back in the restaurant tomorrow talking to the waitress. And they'll have something to say about that mixed up crazy looking family who came in yesterday. And as aggravated as I kind of was at the way that, that people were reacting to us there, I knew that the one thing that I could do to maybe change one mind in the place was I left her a bigger tip than what anybody else did that day. I guarantee it for that. You left her a bigger tip than anybody left her all month. Absolutely. But we did that so that when the people come in the next day to talk about us, what I wanted her to say was, yeah, but y'all didn't give me a tip, anything like that. You know, those were good people. They took, you know, they did, they gave me a great tip. They were awesome. It was also a good learning experience for our children too. Absolutely. You know, how to be in that situation and approach it gracefully and not turn it into a negative. Yeah, so that you're not angry about things and behave like you're angry, but teaching teaching our kids to figure out how to 
how to handle those stressful situations in a way that has grace instead of anger as your motivating factor. That was, I think that was a, a real intentional choice on my part. Um, but, you know, we haven't had a whole lot of race issues around here, I would say, except for the, the one guy we were at a county fair because, yeah, we're, we're out in the woods. So we go to the county fair once every couple of years. And it was the same. We had the same group of kids at that time. It was the same time frame. And as we're walking across the midway area there, there's one guy. And like I said, this is a really multicultural area. A lot of diversity here. But one guy walking the other way who open mouth stared at us as he was walking the other way because I don't, just don't think he could comprehend the diversity of our group. And he was so busy staring so hard that he just about fell flat on his face. Do you remember watching him do that? Yeah, it was quite humorous. Not going to lie, I may have laughed at him a little bit. But those are the things that we, you know, we, we interact with that kind of stuff on a fairly regular basis. You know, minor things from people that, that's, it's not a big deal. Like, if it bothers you, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you have a problem. But I, I just, I look at it like I don't have a problem. They do. I think if we made a big deal out of it, you know, we it could really very quickly become a negative. You know, but I think we approach it as if it's nothing and so it stays nothing it doesn't blow up it doesn't become you know someone yelling and arguing us or vice versa or trying to explain who we are you know we just just keep going you know and and don't make it into something that it's not absolutely well you know we were talking about the trip to vandalia why don't you talk a little bit about you know the visit with mom because that's something that i didn't get to to experience with you i I took her up there and i took all the family up there but it was a women's state correctional facility, so they don't let guys in there. No, no, they don't let guys in there. Um, it was me and a big group of women. First time I've ever been in a situation like that. You know, I, I was nervous. I had a whole set of rules that I had to go through before we even made it there. You know, what I could wear, specific colors, even down to, you know, jewelry. Only being allowed to wear one set of earrings. You know, there was... A, a lot of hoops to go through, you know, and, and it was scary. You, you, you go through and you're patted down by the guards. You're going through metal detectors. I mean, you're, you got to go through all the screenings to get in there and it can be a little daunting, a little scary if you don't know what, what you're doing. And, you know, this is the first time I've ever been there and I'm going in to meet a woman I've never met before. And I'm bringing her baby that she hasn't seen since she birthed him. Yeah, because Carl was born in the prison, if I remember. Yeah, right. yeah, he he was born born in the prison, um, and family was supposed to come and pick him up, and they never showed up. That's right. Um, and so here I'm bringing this woman, her baby that she hasn't seen for uh, four or five months, somewhere around that time. You know, honestly, I was scared, but as soon as I got in there, it, there was sadness, an overwhelming just. Just sadness, uh, because it wasn't just a visit for me and her and Carl. There were several, several women who were having visits with their children. You know, just open tables everywhere, and and all these kids and, and all these women. And, you know, some of these women, you know, are just crying and they're almost hysterical because they're they're getting to see their kids other women are just very disinterested you know they're talking to the people that brought in the kids and you know wanting change to go over to the soda machine and the candy machine because they don't get it all the time you know that was more important than than their kids and to to see that to see the broken 
people. And it was just a, a big room of brokenness. And it was really sad. You know, but I, I just, I felt really out of place. You know, I, I felt like really strange, you know, because how do you interact with someone that even if she wanted to, couldn't interact with her child on a regular basis. You know, she's looking at me like, well, you know him, you know what he wants, you know how to take care of him, I'm just, I'm just here. So it leaves you in a really weird place. You don't really know what your role is, and you're not really certain how you achieve that. You know, where do you, where do you draw the lines, you know? And so it just it leaves you in a really weird spot. I mean, we, we had no issues. We went about the visit, and, and she held him, and, you know, there were times where, you know, she just kind of sat there. Like, she she was lost and really didn't know what to do or, or how to perform. You know, they had a, um, a picture place set up, and um, she asked if she could get her picture taken with him. Well, and I mean, that that's odd in itself. You know, I, I've got a mom asking me if she can take a picture with her child. You know, she doesn't need my permission to take a, a picture with her child, but she felt like she needed that permission because she hadn't been his mom. She didn't know how to be his mom. You know, so all in all, it, it was it was really sad. But we made it through. You know, I survived. I, I've, I've been to a women's prison now, um, and I made it out alive. It's definitely nothing like Orange is the New Black, I can tell you that. I was wondering if you're getting ready for your new role. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's definitely nothing like that. Um, it's just a very sad, dingy, dark place. You know, I, I can't imagine spending all day there, let alone when the lights go out. You know, not being able to leave. I mean, I couldn't get out of there fast enough. It was just so dark and depressing. Yeah, and that's the shame of it is, is you know, for you know, not Carl because he wasn't even a year old. You know, he he won't remember that experience. But for the other kids who are in there, you know, kids in their young, you know, teens or or even you know, seven, eight, nine years old, that'll be the memories they have with their mom. Well, I mean, Janiah and Deshawn, that's the last lasting memory they have is their with their mother is their her last um, visit that she exercised her right to have before adoption happened. That's right. Janiah and Deshaun are, are the two of the kids that we adopted into our family. And, and you're right, that is, um, that's, that's the last time they, you know, they had any real interaction with her mother was when, when her rights were terminated and she got one visit to basically say goodbye is what the state allows them. Yeah, and, I, and before that they hadn't seen her in almost two years. What did you feel like you yeah. learned coming out of that prison? I don't want to do anything that lands me there. I think what I really learned from it is that there's a lot of broken people and there's a real need to try to help those broken people. And I don't know exactly what my role in that all entails, but I do know that I can help the little broken people. And that's what I was doing that day was helping a little broken person. He didn't know, he didn't know he was broken because he's a baby. He's an infant. Yeah. Well, and honestly, I think if we looked at it, Maybe he wasn't a broken person yet, and that's what we were avoiding. Trying to avoid that broken situation, you know, because Mama still had a lot of time to do. Yeah, because we can't can't save him from from brokenness for the rest of his life because Carl didn't stay with us. He went, he eventually went with a family member, but, but we could at least 
keep those cracks from happening at a at a real early age. I think that's part of what what we do, you know, because we came back home and and you know Carl really integrated well into our family. Like the biggest argument around Carl was who got to hold him, mostly because just such a happy dang kid. You hold him and he'd smile at you, and you just felt better when he looked at you and smiled with those big eyes. You know, he's just. It was he was a, a light in a house that that had a lot of broken people in it. Anyways, you know we've we we have plenty of our own struggles over our, our history and our time. You know, our own childhoods and and you know between me and my wife and then you know uh, Janai and Deshawn with with their situation. Um, you know, there's just enough pieces of our life that are that are difficult to deal with some days. That when you get to see such a young kid who's just so happy and knows how to enjoy life. It reminds you that there's joy to be had. While Carl was in care, he had some visits with his great aunt. And his great aunt was, his grandmother, Carl's grandmother was the one who was supposed to pick him up out of prison when he was born. But she never showed. So his grandmother's sister is the one who was going to take care of him. And she had volunteered to step up. But Carl was placed with us because right in that time frame, we'd had a couple tornadoes come through. We had some bad storms come through. Yeah, it was a lot. And she had some damage to her roof. And one of these fly-by-night roofing companies came by and took her insurance money to fix it. And they still haven't fixed it today. Yeah, they never came back to fix it. So the she whole was, upstairs of her house was basically in, in ruins. Yeah, it so was unlivable, unlivable. Yeah, it was unlivable for sure. And, and that's why Children's Division said the baby couldn't go there because it wasn't a safe place for him. Um, but it took her a while to get, she was, a, you know, she was his grandma's sister. So she was, on, I don't know how old she was off the top of my head, but she was old enough that she was on a fixed income and just didn't have any way to get that money together to, to do a roof repair that she'd already paid somebody to do once already. And that took quite a while for her to be able to take care of that. But in that time frame, we still did visits with her. Yeah, we did, a, we did weekly visits. She constantly called to check on him you know she was always present as much as she could be she was present and she never missed a visit you know she was always there we'd go to restaurants and we would sit and eat and she'd hold him and feed him and you know it it became so friendly that there were times that um i brought our daughter our youngest daughter janiah with me on these visits you know it wasn't uh us against the world kind of mentality it was us building bonds and and making connections and you know she she jumped through every hoop that they asked her to you know it took her a little time to get the money up but you know we were working with a different county so carl was in our county from another county but his placement where he was going she was in another county and to get three different counties to work together can be a feat sometimes yeah three agencies you know, don't it, always work it can well be together a, it can be a little difficult to get things arranged um so it took about nine months yeah because he was he was um, he was brand new it's about a week old when we yeah. got him and he left us at about nine months old but i want to back up to something real quick you know talking about working with with her and you know, I think that was a big thing we learned there is that a lot of times when you're doing foster care, the bio family that you deal with is, is going through something. They're in some sort of crisis mode. They're dealing with something. But she wasn't the person who had the crisis. And and it was interesting for us to, to sit back and and learn to build a relationship with her and really work with her as as a team 
you know, and have those visits. You know, I, I remember it was as her place was getting closer to to being put back together, and they were able to take him for weekend visits and things like that. Like Carl had, if you guys remember, the old album that had the old Biggie album. What was it? Notorious B.I.G. No, what was the name of the um, album? Too Young to Die? Not Too Young to Die. I, I don't know. I don't Ready to Die. I think it was Ready to Die. Whatever it was. It was the, the Biggie album where it had the baby on the front that had the great big afro going on. Like, it was almost as wide as his shoulders, as memory serves. <laughs> and Carl had hair that was going that way. Like, I just... We, he had we, himself a big ofro. We, we just constantly you know, tried to take care of his hair, so that, I mean, because it was just a big, beautiful head of tight, curly, kinky, just coarse hair, and he was adorable with this big old head of hair on him. And he came back from his from his great aunt's house, and she had done his hair up. Oh, where, one of the nieces did oh, his hair. Is, is that what it was? The niece. Yeah, one of the, one of her nieces had did his hair. Okay, yeah, she had pulled parted it all out and into squares and pulled it all up into little poofs. And this poor little boy. He looked like a little girl. He looked. Everybody who would see him was like, "Oh, how old is she? She's so cute." I felt bad because I mean, he doesn't care, right? He's he's seven eight months old he could care less what you call him but you know then then we we finally got around to taking taking it out and because his hair was so coarse it had actually broken off the hair everywhere where they had parted it and he ended up looking like he had the mange it was horrible i felt so bad oh i even took him to the doctor for it because i wanted to make sure his poor scalp was okay you know but that was one of the first times that we had really dealt with hair that coarse you know which is a learning curve all in itself i mean that's a whole nother topic a whole nother discussion for another day um but yeah poor little guy we ended up having to cut his little fro off just so that he didn't look like a mangy mangy little puppy but even even with no hair he was he was adorable um but back to working with his great aunt and all that you know it was different for us because, you know, we had a common goal. You know, we were taking care of this little baby. She just wanted to take care of this little baby. She hadn't done anything wrong. There was no reason why she couldn't take care of this little baby. She just had to get her house put back together, you know, and, and we just all worked together. And it worked really well, you know, but it was, you know, nine months. You take a baby for nine months you hold it and you feed it and you clothe him and you change him and you smile and you bathe him and you do everything that you would do for your baby. And then one day, that baby ain't your baby no more. Yeah, then one day you get that phone call. Then he's somebody else's baby. Yeah, and that's probably the hardest part of foster care. Because like I said before, there there's some kids that when you leave, you you maybe breathe a little bit of a sigh of relief because it was a challenge. Oh yeah. <laughs> but but some of them like when they leave, it's it's like somebody yanked a piece of your family out from underneath you. You know, you think about that nine months, those that first year of of growing for an infant is, man, it's such a bonding time for them. You know, they they know my voice when I walk in the house. He knows who I am. You know, and you you go through that, and then to have that taken away. You know, when when it was finally time to to take him back, we met in the same parking lot of the same restaurant that we had eaten together in so many times with the family, and we showed up and and um, and they got there and you know they 
they they live in St. Louis, and and I drink, I work a lot in St. Louis City, and one of the things I'm always troubled by, but it's it's just a normal thing there is like car seats. Why don't you people put your babies in car seats? I'm always like, what's wrong with you people? Are you crazy? Why aren't you why aren't your kids in car seats? You see a lot in in, in St. Louis City, and I I don't know if that's just an urban thing in other cities, but I, I noticed it a lot in St. Louis. And they showed up with no car seat to put this nine-month-old in. And we had just bought this car seat a couple months before. Yeah, because he, he, he had just graduated to a new car seat. Yeah, he'd know. just grown out of the pumpkin seat. And so we went over, and, and I had to, like... Had to strap it in for him. They, they didn't even know how to, to place this car seat in properly. You, you know, know, so Jason Jason strapped it in, and while he's, while he's working on that, you know, trying to manage all the other kids, because... You know, we've got a family member leaving. Everybody deserves to get to say goodbye. You don't leave half your family at home and just disappear. Everybody needs to be able to say goodbye and at least have some sort of of closure. Because you grieve. And you need to be able to grieve. So Jason's placing this car seat and, you know, I'm trying to hold on to this baby for dear life because I don't want to let go. None of our kids want to let go. You know, he's just a baby to everybody else. But to us, he was our family. You know, he was our baby. You know, and it's hard to say goodbye to a baby. Because Carl won't remember us. Nope. He he won't remember the time he spent in our family. He won't know how many, you know, foster siblings he had. You know, that time he'll he'll never remember, but... But we remember, you know, he's stamped on our hearts and on some of our chests. Literally. <laughs> Carl made a big enough impact that um, I have a Carl tattoo. I have a, I paid for a uh, pretty high quality tattoo artist actually to do a portrait that is like photo quality on my, he's, he's tattooed over my heart because he made that big of an impact on us. And that just speaks to the level of effect that some of these kids can have on you. And, and he was one of the ones, he's a story that, that'll never leave my heart, you know. And when he left, there was a lot of grief. I mean, I had, one of my sons was, was so upset. He was standing beside the car. He's, he started crying, was crying so hard. He's, he ends up getting sick in the parking lot. And just, just his chest heaving, he was, he was crying so hard. And it was, it's tough to let go. It's tough to watch your kids grieve as you grieve. That was that was a difficult thing all around, and and that grief was something that we hadn't hadn't experienced in that way before, and we really struggled through that. And no, because when when you think about it, um, looking back on it, Carl was really our first to go by. He was the first to go home. Well, see, that's what I was trying yeah. to remember where he fell in, in the list of kids. Yeah, he, he, he was our first placement to, to go back home. Um, and so we really did not know how to navigate those waters. You know, it, it was it was difficult. We went yeah. home, and you could not buy a smile in my house for two months. No. It lasted that long. But that weekend, we went home, and... And I had a long weekend coming up for what I remember if it was a holiday or if it was just a long weekend I had scheduled for something I, else. We actually, I believe, if, if memory serves me, we planned it. We planned a, an extra day or two of vacation in there I find um, it difficult along to with believe, your long weekend. I find it difficult to believe that I would have been smart enough to plan it out that way. But maybe no, we, we did. did. 
I'll give you credit because you're usually the smart one. That you know what we ended up doing was I, I could see how how distracted the whole family was, how focused they were on this on this grief and this loss. And you know we're about a five hour drive away from Memphis, and so I just said, hey, let's get a couple nights worth of clothes together. We've got a couple dollars in the bank. We can drive to Memphis, and and that's what we did. We drove the only time we've ever done anything like that. We just got in the car and had to get out of town and get away from everything that reminded us of our time with Carl and letting him go. And we happened into Memphis when they had a street fair there that particular weekend, and it, we, it turned out to be a really good distraction for all of us. It was, it was, it was a really good thing for us to get out of town and go as kids, you know, as, as a family, be able to to step away from that grief a little bit and just live in the moment and, and kind of relearn to to be a family again. I would say that after that, really, it was just kind of all about taking the time to learn how to heal from those losses because it's a grieving process. It requires some healing. It definitely does. And, you know, we also, you know, we had to learn how to grieve ourselves, but we also had to learn how to teach our children to grieve. We had to teach them that it was okay to grieve, you know, that it doesn't make you a bad person to be angry, to be upset at the situation. You know, it's okay to show those emotions and it's okay to put them out there. And, you know, it was a real learning process for all of us to figure out how to do that because, you know, we're angry. We want our baby, but at the same time, we're doing it so that that baby can go where he needs to go. He needs to be with his family. It's appropriate for him to be there, but it's okay to be mad about it. It's okay to be sad about it, but it's also okay to celebrate it. I think when we went to Memphis, that's what we were trying to do. We were trying to break away and just spend some time with our kids and, you know, let them know that it's okay. And it's been a real process trying to teach our children, you know, the losses and the love and how to navigate all that and, and what it looks like and how it feels. I think you're right. I think the the celebration piece is really important because as much as we don't like to see a kid go home all the time, the importance of a kid knowing that that somebody in their family loves them enough to take care of them and they, they put away their selfish wants to it's take care. It's a victory. Care. Yeah. yeah it, it's, a, it's a great victory that doesn't happen as often as it should. I, I would agree. And it was... So, yeah, we were happy to see Carl get to a good place. But, you know, we haven't seen Carl since. Um, if your kid was in foster care and he didn't know about it because he was a baby at the time because of whatever other problems there were in your life back when you were younger, it's entirely possible you wouldn't want to tell him that story either. So that's kind of the way that I, I see it. I think, you know, if they don't ever have to tell him that story, they probably won't, and that's okay. That's probably what's best for them. But it was a year or so after Carl went back home. I was in St. Louis working, and I happened to cross his grandma just by chance meeting. Or not his grandma, but his, his great aunt, the lady he moved in with. And just happened to chance meeting of, of her out there, and she said, Oh, man. She said, If I'd have known we'd seen you, I would have brought him here with us today. He's out with, with my brother right now. They're out running errands and hanging out together and this, that. And I, I'm not going to lie. I was sad that I didn't get a chance to see him. But, you know, that's okay. 
the thing that we learned by taking the time to build those relationships with her is that she was a good person. She was a safe place for him to be put. And he's going to be okay. Because you don't always agree with the judge's decision when they send a kid back home. Because sometimes it's not what seems like the safest thing. But he went to a good place. And yeah, we would have loved to keep him. But but he went to a good place. And probably the best place that he could have been for him. And I'm glad about that. Yeah, it took me a little while to get over my own selfishness. You know, I, I was just sad for a long time. I don't think I was ever angry about it. Just sad. And not just sad for myself, my selfish reasons. You know, I had to get over myself because everything about foster care, it, it's not about you. It's not about you whatsoever. And if it is about you, you're not doing it for the right reasons. You know, but I was selfish. I, I was sad. You know, I, I was grieving my loss. I don't know if grieving your loss is selfishness. It might just be human. It just might feel selfish sometimes. Sometimes. Oh. I think I think the the other question, the last question I'd like to ask you is after all that, the real question is is that hello worth a goodbye? And I would say without a doubt always yes. Even even when you talk about that time when when they go home and sometimes it's, whew, I'm done, I can breathe, you know, this was a difficult placement, there was this, there was that. Even in those difficult, trying times, it's always a yes. It's always worth it. You know, to help someone who cannot help themselves. That's the reason why I do what I do. It's the reason why we do what we do. It's some of the core values and beliefs that we try to instill in our children, whether they're biological, fostered, adopted, you know, to have a giving spirit and to help someone who cannot help themselves, someone who doesn't have the choice, the will, or the know-how. How can that ever be wrong? To leave someone better than when you found them. Maybe a little less broken, a little more prepared to be able to take care of themselves. You know, it just always feels right. I think you're right. For me, a big piece of it is realizing that whatever I do today will leave a legacy tomorrow for my kids, my family, the people who know me. And whether I choose to run off the rails and do cocaine and meth and or... I choose to do something to help somebody else. Regardless of what I'm doing, I'm leaving a legacy behind me. And I know that, that this legacy could is something that can be carried on by my children, by their children. The kids that we help, there's probably going to be a piece of that legacy that carries on in their lives as well. And I can take our own brokenness and push it out into the future as positive change for the people around us in our world. And that's the thing that, that means something to me. That That's where I get my meaning from in all of this. It doesn't feel like I'm changing the world at my job. But when we get that phone call at 3 a.m. and Carl shows up and, and or when we go to Taco Bell and <laughs> steal a baby, 
you know, you're changing the world. And not just yours, but you're changing your world. But you're changing their world. You're changing your kid's world. All the people around you, they see it. You're changing their world. It's a powerful thing. We want to thank you guys for listening in today and listening to the story of Carl and how we learned the lesson about is hello worth the goodbye. It really means a lot to us, this journey that we're on, and we hope to see you guys again somewhere along the path. And remember, you can always find us online at shecalledmedaddy.com or on the Facebook page at shecalledmedaddy.com.